0: there we are yeah that's my recording for my mic so um give you a little bit of an idea what just happened there just because some people don't know is uh so when you're in the middle and you're trying to make that you got to try and edit it but when you when you go to edit that's not too bad like you can click on it and edit but then trying to shift from the edit To the actual slides the way it's supposed to, it's kind of weird. So when you don't do it often or often enough, you forget exactly how it works. So yeah, that happens. So anyway, if anybody has some technical knowledge that they would like to um, devote to the work of the Lord, we're willing to, we're willing to have a little bit of it. Um, Give me a second here. I'm going to try something new. So we're up to doing things new, I hope. Um, I'm going to try and run some slides for my sermon because I know some of you have been taking notes, and I hope to encourage that even more. No, I don't think that's going to happen here. Let's see. We'll see. No, well, maybe it will. Let's see. Yep, it will. OK, I'm going to try to do this for you. <laughs> Okay, so if you'll turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 1, we're going to begin there. And uh, this actually looks a lot longer than, I hope that I'm hope that i going to do a good job of not making you stay too late. You know, how many of you feel like we've had a service this morning? Right? That you guys were a partaker in what the Lord was doing. You know, we've been praying for a long time to some degree that, Everybody within the community of the church and faith, in this church at least, would have a part to play. You know, not everybody's the eye, but everybody has a part to give, and every joint supplying. And that's what the scripture tells us, but so many times we're used to kind of a Western culture way of doing things where it's only certain people who do the ministering. But hearing every testimony is a ministry to the Lord. You know, we do a ministry for people, but maybe we need to rethink that a little bit and think about maybe this is a ministry to the Lord, and it's what we bring together. Our worship together, our testimonies together, our praises in every way. So um, I'm not exactly sure how I'll do it, but let's just get into this. Um, I call this one the Christmas is here. And so for some of you may not be here for Sunday, next Sunday, And I don't know that we'll have a service per se or a sermon per se, not service, but sermon. So I want to I want to give this this week. I want to talk to you about evidence of the incarnate virgin birth of Jesus. So we we talk about the the virgin birth, but oftentimes we don't add the incarnate virgin birth. That's when God became flesh, and he came to dwell in the form of a baby. I don't know how radical that seems to you, but that just seems too phenomenal to even grasp. That if if he's God, he can do anything, right? So what we think about here is, is that when we read the Christmas story, we're going to be reading and analyzing the fact that the Christmas story is packed with evidence of the events that took place. Because when you take the evidence out, you don't have anything left. It's just hearsay. It's make-believe. It's fairy tale as far as the world is concerned. Now, what's interesting is, is when we have evidence and we still don't believe, then that's on us. So evidence. No mind can securely trust or validate something that has no evidence. Evidence provides a trustworthy path in determining truth. Evidence elevates the virtues of truth that are naturally commended in our conscience. And evidence cannot lie. Therefore, it is only foolish to deny the proof of something that is backed by evidence. I think it's so important to understand the importance of this. And God gave us the most foolproof evidence you can possibly give. He made sure that the Christmas story couldn't be redefined into something that it's not. By giving us every reason to believe in that the birth of Jesus Christ through the Virgin Mary was exactly as it was written. We have the evidence of true prophecy, and I call this the foundation of Christmas. The evidence of true prophecy. And prophecy tells us what will be before it is so that when it takes place, we have infallible proof. God calls us to believe and trust in the prophecy for the prophecy's sake. So we have times when somebody is supposedly prophesying and they say that this is the word of the Lord. And there's others that have actually had the word of the Lord that's spoken it before it ever came to pass. The moment it happens, it's a revelation of where God is at in that picture. And I think it's so important to realize that Christmas for us for every Christian, for every believer, the reality is that we have the true prophecy, not just that it was prophecy, but it was fulfilled prophecy. God actually fulfilled that prophecy. And so I want to read here in Luke chapter 1, verses 41 through 45. Luke chapter 1, 41. Through 45. Give me a hallelujah if you're there. Okay, so for some reason I must have missed that. Okay, I'm getting better at this. <laughs> okay, when, when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, her baby leaped in her womb. Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and empowered by him. So this is actually out of the Amplified Version. So you'll, you'll hear some variances there. And she exclaimed loudly, Blessed, worthy to be praised, are you among women. And blessed is the fruit of your womb. And how has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord would come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed, spiritually fortunate, and favored by God is she who believed and confidently trusted that there would be forf- a fulfillment of the things that were spoken to her by the angel sent from the Lord. Now, I want to I emphasize something here, and that's that part that I have there in, in blue, is that who believed. Now, here's a prophecy that God gave, and it said that she was blessed and favored of God because she had trusted that what he had said would be fulfilled. Now, I think a lot of people have had, and I think Christians struggle with this area of life, is if God has said it, why do I need to worry about believing it? And I think that's because you want to walk in step with everything that God has said. If you don't believe it, you're going to walk in other steps outside of what God intended. So there's a a part of this that as she ponders and what is she doing and how is she behaving, all has to do with the fact that she believes what God has said. The prophecy of Elizabeth was a confirmation to Mary, but to us, it is a reason for our hope. You know, Somebody might ask you why you're a Christian and you can say, because of my life change and the testimony of your life. And that is valid. But what's more valid than our own testimony is that it came from prophecy, is that God declared that it would be and that he fulfilled it and made it to come to pass. And so because of those things, I can say to somebody who doesn't believe that these things actually took place. And that how more could I recommend the Christian faith and what I believe as a Christian than to be able to share with somebody that God came us in flesh. And the way that God demonstrated that was that he took a woman who was a virgin and he put this baby inside of her. There's only one way that that could happen. And it was a miracle And it was the only way that we could say that this was the distinction between the way a man is born and the way God is born in flesh. It's the only way that we could create that distinction. So when we say there is no other example or experience in life where there was a virgin birth, we would be right. We'd be right in saying there is nothing else that we know of that shows of a virgin ever conceiving or bringing forth a child. This was the only one. We don't just have prophecy, but we have fulfilled the prophecy. That's what we have. The beauty of this isn't that, you know, in their day, there was prophecy that was being said. In our day, it's prophecy that we already know is fulfilled. It's already happened. And so people question the facts behind, and we have so many different pieces of literature that continues to confirm the authenticity of the Bible. And I think that sometimes as Christians we take for granted, because of the experience of our life, that there's the facts and the truth that's presented behind scripture. Prophecy is something I remember I was talking to a guy once at work, and he had made this statement. He said, he said he believed, he didn't believe that Jesus was God. He actually believed he said he was an atheist. And he said he believed that miracles weren't necessarily uh, the proof that God existed. But this is what he did say to me. He said, prophecy, on the other hand, from his perspective, that would be God. That would be God. And I thought to myself, that's interesting. I mean, you know, I looked in this, and I, as much as I tried to share with him or open his eyes, at the moment, his eyes were closed. But I think that it still shows that, I'm a little bit... Um, Ringy here. I don't know. Are you guys noticing the ringiness of my voice here? Nobody else is getting it? Just me? Okay. As long as it's just me and nobody else, right? Okay, tell me if you hear it. (laughs) Um, And then next we have the evidence of miracles. And this I call the truth of Christmas. So we have prophecy. We have the evidence of prophecy. We have the evidence of miracles. Miracles are proof that the impossible, not the improbable, exists. Miracles are proof. Now, we do know that the improbable, it does exist, but we're talking about the miracles are that the impossible exists. This couldn't happen without a miracle. Miracles were not designed to satisfy our intellect, but to witness with our spirit. I'm going to emphasize that because I think that people are missing the point oftentimes when we try and share the gospel, share the truth of the gospel is, is that we're we're basing not just on factual information to supply information to the intellect. If somehow we could get you to an intellectual place, you would believe in Jesus. But what we're really doing is, is we're just dealing with when we're talking about miracles, is that it witnesses with my spirit that there's a God. That the God who created me, the God who gave me life, the one who's supplied everything that I need, is witnessing with my spirit that he's alive and that the things that he said are true. And I think that we see Mary beginning to, this cultivating in her life as well. Let's read here in Luke chapter 1, verses 30 through 35. And the angel said to her, actually, go ahead and turn there. I don't want to just... I know it's up there on the screen, but I'm going to have you turn there in your Bibles anyway. So I'm not, I'm not going to let you be lazy about the Bible. <laughs> I'm not going to let that happen. Tell me when you're there. Amen. Okay. Luke chapter 1, verses 30 through 35. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Listen carefully. You will conceive in your womb and give birth to a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great and eminent and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob or Israel forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How shall this be? Since I am a virgin and have no intimacy with any man, then the angel replied to her, "The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you like a cloud. For that the reason, of, for that reason, the holy, pure, sinless child shall be called the Son of God." So Mary begins to stagger at the thought of realizing that she hasn't had any other intimate relationship. How is this possible? How is it possible that this can be happening to me? I think there's so many different levels that we could be thinking about, but I want to see that this was a miracle in her life, and it's a miracle to us because if this didn't happen, Paul says in Scripture that if our, if Christ did not die, then our faith is vain. If Jesus wasn't raised, our faith is vain. If Jesus was never born, none of those events ever happened. You know, really we go to the cross most of the time when we want to bring out the gospel, but we could really bring out the gospel in the very birth of the Savior because every event traced after that ...becomes its own fact. But if this weren't its own fact, then none of that would be. So if we believe that there's a possibility that a man hung upon a cross... ...if there he died, and somehow it was possible that after he died that he was raised again... ...but that we didn't believe that there was such a thing as this virgin birth... ...and that miracle never took place... ...then all it was was simply a man that hung on a cross. All it was was somebody who's named himself by the name of a savior... But when we add miracles to it, you can't say that it it's uh, it's just a fairy tale. It is not. It is possible. It's either... It, Jesus is... What does it say? Um, Joshua McDowell said that he's either Lord, liar, or a lunatic. There, there is no in-between. You have to come to the conclusion that it isn't... It's either that it's false or it's real. It's either false... Or it's real. And, you know, I've been hearing a few statements being made is that as a Christian, I have no losses. If believing in God and there were no such thing, what's it, what am I going to lose in the end of the road? Especially if your marriages were in, in wealth and embedded in, in by it or your relationships with others and your churches and the people that you know. If it was enriched by it and yet it never existed what do I have to say against it? But in light of eternity and all the other things, if I don't believe, and it's true, I'm, of, I'm going to now regret the choice that I made believing that such a thing never took place. You know, people are looking for evidence. They say they're looking for evidence, but I think most of us are looking for what we'd say is a witness in my spirit. It says that the spirit bears witness with our spirit that we're the sons of God. The spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the sons of God. We are now born of God and that witness has been in effect. And that's not just... See, because I don't get to see that miracle. We don't get to see the brand new miracle every year re-displayed and Jesus reborn every time. But because it took place... All we're doing is walking back in history and believing something that has taken place. We're believing the evidence and the report and the testimony and the witness that we find here in Scripture. And we believe it to be true. And on that basis, it's not our faith on its own that save us. It's the power of God working in us through faith that saves us. You can't get, just get there alone. There's a lot of faith out there that has no substantiality to it. There's nothing we can place it on. But this we have something to put our faith into. This is something that we can rest on. This is fact. This is evidentially true. This is absolutely certain. And somebody may say, well, I never saw it, or I don't believe it. It doesn't make it not true. That's what I love about evidence, is that you can't take it away. You can't just get rid of it. You can hide it from, you can deceive yourself, but the truth is, it's there. So you may be saying to yourself, I believe in the virgin birth, and you might be missing. Listen to me. You might be saying to yourself, I believe in the virgin birth. And yet you might be missing the splendid, undying, and forever life-giving miracle that it is. You know, I think somebody once said that if you believed in hell, you be behaving differently. Not because you're going there, because you know so many other people are. You know, I, 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 I had the conversation with somebody the other night. And... I made some of the, the, the normal. We, we read the Bible. I said, do you believe it? And they said, yes. And I wanted to make clear, is there's a difference from I believe in my head to I know it, and it's not just fact for me. See, this is the thing. We have fact, but we don't just thrive on fact. We need something deeper in our life. And so we might be believing in the virgin birth and be missing What is it that Jesus really wants for me? So I want to give, I want to share this prayer that's on my heart because I think it's a prayer that we can all pray, but I think it reveals what we might be missing. Dear Lord, we desire to greet you in celebration of Christmas. Though we cannot welcome it in our homes the same way that those who were there At the actual moment of our Messiah's birth A veil, I pray, that will not rob us of the timeless glory You wanted us to know We see our world pining away As if Christmas had never happened And though we hear a thousand voices saying You are in control Yet yet it cannot be our fate to lose What you gave us our Savior for we see on one hand our day of redemption, and and yet beyond it a sea of countless souls that have at its best a scarce idea of what Christmas is. In this finite frame, our body lies all the natural barriers that make even a child of God as incapable of seeing it as the rest of the world. Beyond this finite frame, though, we have the power that shakes the universe to awaken the unseen realities of eternity in us and reveal what cannot be known otherwise christmas is our key of hope by which we trust you to unlock the door that we may enter in so what am i what am i trying to get at is i've been thinking about what Christmas generally is and and, uh, what people would say. What is Christmas? And I'll probably come to this slide here in a minute, but what would people say is Christmas? Traditional answers. Christmas is about family and the people we love. That's what I think a lot of Christians would answer. And I don't think that it's wrong necessarily, but that's not itself Christmas. It's about giving and caring for people you love, and those around you. That's Christmas. It's about helping the unfortunate and being there for those who don't have anyone. See, when I begin to think a little bit more about this myself, I was thinking, well, that's a lot of what we've done as a family. We've, we've went and blessed people caroling. We've brought um, loaves of zucchini bread to our neighbors. Uh, My wife was talking more about some cookies that we wanted to make. And, you know, some events in life may not give us the opportunity to do all the things that we wanted to do around. And it's not a shame or wrong to want to do any of those things. But this was my question. How many of us as Christians, that is how we celebrate Christmas. That's the end of the story for us. The bigger highlight, the greater picture is still lost. And so for me, I sat there and think to myself, if that's not what Christmas, then what is Christmas? What is it really? It's not just a story that happened years ago. If anything, it is a story that was meant to impact my life from eternity on. From this very moment, it was to have an impact on my life and forever seal something inside of me that never would die. Let's see, where am I at? Okay, I think I'm going to flip to the next one here. The key is not the traditions of Christmas and the festivities are enjoyable, but they can be enjoyed in place of what Christmas really is. We have the evidence of fulfillment. So this is the last piece here, and that's the reality of Christmas. The evidence of fulfillment is the reality of Christmas. Let's look at Luke chapter 2, verses 4 through 7. Joseph went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. Because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who is with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. This was the fulfillment The day that never needs to be repeated, but this is the fulfillment that she brought forth her firstborn son. So as I'd already shared with you, Christmas is not the traditional answers that we usually get. Christmas is about God himself. Christmas doesn't tell us that God loves, it shows us how he loves. It's radical love. It's unbelievably, unbelievably, unbelievably radical love in its rawest form. And so we can miss the rawness and the reality of that Christmas tells us about God. Christmas tells us about who he is. If anything, that what, is, what we're called upon to do and all the events and all the celebrations, the traditions that are forming around us, the one thing that the church of Jesus Christ can hold on to that we can bathe in, that we can love and enjoy, that nobody else outside of that atmosphere can, and that is that this is about God. The picture of John 3.16 means so much more when we bring it in light to this event, because God so loved the world. How did he so love the world? Well, he gave his only begotten son. But how did he give his only begotten son? He gave his only begotten son in the. the helpless form of a baby and he did what miracle beyond anything that we can compare and even beginning even imagine that not just in human body but in the smallest of human frame god has given to us his son the most vulnerable in form that he could put him in he gave him to us in that vulnerability with death tracing him with Herod wanting to kill him with so many other pieces and the angels of God bringing Joseph and Mary from one miracle to the next and guiding them along the path to preserve the life of this innocent child. But yet what we don't think about is what's inside of this baby. And I love the, I love the song, um, Mary, Did You Know? And I, I love the words that it says in there. Mary, did you know that when you kissed your little baby, that you kissed the face of God? I remember the first time that I ever heard that. I don't know if I was crying or in tears, but I remember it it hitting me. I've never thought of it like that before. How many years have lapsed in my life and I didn't take time to meditate on the specifics of, and the amazingness of of that. And here somebody finally came up with a song that speaks the words of the reality of this to me. And I wonder if what you would write, I wonder if today you started thinking deeply on, maybe it's not a poem, but you begin to write on the depth of and the meaning of. In this helpless form of a baby is the very creator of the universe. The one who affords me my next breath of air. The one who gave me my next heartbeat. And he came. And in that life, in that small form of life, we see everything that there is to do with life. I don't know of a greater miracle. I can't think of anything that's so amazing to me than that in all the miracles that Jesus did himself in raising the dead... How can you put the creator of the universe, a triune God in the the one person, Jesus Christ, and put him in a baby? Much less, how do we fit God in flesh and blood? And that's not something that I can demonstrate to your intellect. All I can do is, by the grace of God, satisfy you that a miracle took place. And because of that miracle, God has done what no other religion could ever do. See, you have to understand, we have to come to the reality that there's not Islam. There's not Hinduism. There is no other religion in the world that can not only bring us salvation, not by the good deeds that we do, but give us salvation by somebody who is uh, without sin, And not only that, but bring himself into our bodies in flesh and blood and become the sacrifice for us. There's nothing else like it on the face of the earth. And so when I begin to think and take more time to meditate and just, Lord, help me grasp this Christmas. This Christmas, help me take it in. Drink in. Give me a meditation more and more about what took place. The miracle that it really is. And not just be satisfied with just the surface of it, but the heart of it. Christmas is not just what we know of God; it is a whole lot of what we don't know. I think we take for granted that one day we're going to get up into heaven and we're going to just know it all, as if somehow that we're going to have the infinite, omnipotent, omniscient mind of God, and it's not going to happen. I think from now to eternity, there are things that only God will know and that you will not. And what I'm saying in, in this is that I think the Christmas narrative, in this we see an infinite number of things that are not possible for us to know. I can't begin to know how God could do such a thing. I can't begin to describe to you the, the, the even the possibility. You just say he's God and he can do anything, right? But that's where it ends. This, I, I couldn't tell you. And then lastly, some people will say when they get to heaven. How many of you heard this? When I get to heaven, I have some questions for God. i got an answer for you. What makes you think he's going to answer all your questions? I don't think he needs to. This is the problem that we're living in. We're living in a society and a world and even a, a large number of people, and we ourselves, have said, I don't understand. God, give me the answer. And I think the problem with that is that we forgot that He's sovereign. And if you can trust in the sovereignty of God, you don't need an answer for everything. We don't need it. We don't need proof in front of us over every situation and thing that happens. There's a lot of things that I say I think the Bible lacks its proof. It just declares it is so. You know, in Genesis, there isn't God going about to prove the events of creation. It just says that there let there be, and there was. And we're we're called upon to believe it. And as I think about this, here's one of the things I wonder is, and this is me speaking. Honestly and truly. I wonder when it comes to a Christian life that we take for granted what we believe. The other piece of it is, is because it sits in my intellect as something that's true that's enough. And it's not. God didn't want just what happened to be something that you believed in your mind. He wanted you to possess it in your heart. And faith is a way of seeing. I can't see it with my physical eye, but I know it to be as real as anything else in front of me. And I absolutely believe it. And so what I think is it takes an interaction with God, a place in our life where we have to know. And I I was reasoning with somebody the other day, probably the same conversation that I had with that person. And one of the things that I had... I had read there was in Isaiah, 50. what is it now? Isaiah chapter, I think it's ch- chapter 1, verse 18, actually. Uh, he says, let us reason together, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. And I thought of another scripture. Jesus had said seek and you shall find the goal isn't the seeking piece the goal is in the finding piece you know it doesn't tell us how long you're going to seek until you find it just seeks until you find what if i'm just going to ask the question what if what the missing piece in our life is that we didn't keep seeking until we found So Christmas to me is this time of the year that we get to seek once more and find once more. So what I would say is this, is I think that the presence of God, at least as it's been normal to me and the way it's been with God giving me a revelation, is every time it's fresh. Every time it's brand new. I could yesterday or I could five minutes ago have had a fresh touch a fresh revelation of the Lord, and that would be there. It is. Um, so I just got to stay right here. That would be its its own its its own game changer for me. And then in less than a minute, he can do it one more time, and it feels just as fresh and just as renewed and just as real. And so I don't know. I don't know our level of seeking God. I don't know where we are with pressing in and drawing near to the Lord. I don't know what kinds of things that we've got going on coming forward and looking forward to Christmas, if it's family coming over, if it's lots of gifts to unwrap, or it's a feeling of loneliness. For some people, it's almost the opposite of what you would think. It's supposed to be the joyous holiday, and it's not for them. And, and I would say in either sense, God gave to the pauper and to the rich. He gave to the poor. He gave to the maim. He gave to the healthy. He gave one thing that can't be taken from either one of them. You know, you can have absolutely nothing this Christmas season. And you can have what God intended. See, I love that. Is that. It doesn't matter my stage in life. You got prosperity gospels out there. And I'm not one of those guys that I do believe that God will prosper at times, but I do also know that God has people in poor lands, in destitute places, and they are still living the light and the fullness of the gospel, even though they don't have much to live on. Some of the greatest testimonies even in our congregation lie within people who have not much to live off of, but they live in faith to Jesus. Every day you devote your heart and you give your love to him. I would say that not only that, but that you prove that even in miracles and the miracles that God has done, that you lavish God with praise and the good things that He's done. Sunday after Sunday, and this Sunday being one of them, is one of the most remarkable times in life because we can hear the goodness of God being redisplayed over and over again. I've returned to that warmth and that affection and that love relationship to Jesus. And all I would say is, is that what does that promote? That promotes what I want to see in for Christmas for everybody who's missing the mark. Because many children will unwrap presents this year and still not have the joy of the Lord in their life. Still, they'll be alienated from the life of God. There'll be families that will have traditions and many things that will be done, and still there won't be life. And then there might be somebody who has nobody there with them, and yet they're celebrating to the height of the joy. And singing. Maybe no gifts to be under their present under the tree. Maybe there's nothing special to celebrate as far as the traditions are concerned. And yet they have the joy of the Lord in their life. In reading the book of the martyrs. The one of the things that you would question unless you question the sovereignty of God. Is that as each one of those Christians had died for their faith. And they had given up themselves to be completely up to the Lord. And while they were being burned at a stake, they were lifting up praises to God. And our world today would say, how does God? How can God's love allow for such a thing? Because the greatest display to humanity is not something this side of eternity. It's not what we get to experience. It's not our health. It's not our riches. It's not our life ease. It's not our happinesses. It's not the fact that when we retire, we're going to have a retirement. Or it, whether you're not going to have one. And all those questions, and all with trying to figure out how to get security in life. And it all comes to one fine point is that it really doesn't have a security to do with this side of eternity, except that you know God and Jesus Christ. It's the only one. And as I think about that right now, I wonder. Because it's, it's, it's had its way into my life at times of am I really missing the point Lord? Am I missing the point of what is Christmas? Or am I getting it? Because it goes the same way for the preachers it does for anybody who's sitting listening to them is that we all have to weigh in. We all have to weigh in. And Here's something that I've asked numerous people in the last few months, and I asked them the question, are you reading your Bible? And you know what I'm finding? Among a good handful of Christians, not really. I'm not really doing that. I do it some, but I don't really do it much. Do you believe it's the word of God? Yeah, I believe it. Well, I don't understand. If you believe it's the word of God, how come you don't read it? You see the difference? One of the other things I want to just say here is, uh, have you been praying to the Lord? No, not really. No? Do you believe in prayer? Absolutely, I believe in prayer. Why, Why don't you pray? Do you worship God? No, I don't. I'm hearing it all too frequent. All too frequent. And then I had somebody the other day tell me that the reason why that they weren't is because of guilt. Because of guilt. I I, I shared and they shared with me that in that guilt, they wanted They knew what they were doing or the sins that they've committed that they feel wrong for, but they felt guilty. How many of us have been there, right? But here's something I had shared. I shared that portion of Scripture. He says, come, let us reason together. And prior to that, there's a list of guilty things. Condemnation. And and this is the thing that I said, is that if you look at Scripture, Jesus invited the guilty. He invited the guilty, but forgiveness is for those who are guilty, who want forgiveness, who want to abandon and surrender and yield. Because there's a party of people who love where they're at. They love their sin, and that's why the Christmas story will never have its fuller meaning in life. So, But here's what I wonder is this question. Has there been guilt in our life that's kept us from the throne of God? And if it is, is it found in Scripture anywhere that God says, don't come? Don't come. And I want to one more time recommend that if we're guilty, that's the reason we come. We don't come just to ask for forgiveness. We come to bring and unload what we've been doing. Unload. Lord, I don't pray and I don't read my Bible. And I don't commit myself to faithful service and love to others in union to you because I'm guilty for not being that. And I'm, I'm sad because I haven't had the energizing and the impact of, And the love of God. And here's the problem is that if we continue to surrender to guilt, it becomes our in place of Jesus. Jesus wanted to own that for us. Lord, I'm surrendering to you, and I'm going to let go and give it back to you. This Christmas, I'm praying. Especially for everybody in this church if there's one person here I may be this whole message just for one, but I'm gonna say it if you're guilty and you're Heavy with guilt and that's the reason why I don't feel like I am struggling to seek God There's room at the altar for you I want this Christmas for those who are struggling with guilt to be able to be free and be able to celebrate the fullness of Christ's birth for them. What Jesus did for you. And I want—if there's a struggle of I want to seek His face, but I'm struggling because the worldliness has gotten inside of me, and I'm enjoying the world, and, and there's there's a piece of that that's just too much. I want to I want to pray that this Christmas will meet us with freedom from this love of the world, and draw us back into the love of God. See, I don't give a care how many people are in those seats. I don't care how many people are sitting here. All that really matters is this. What is the devotional life of those who do? Where are we with God? And that's all that matters. And because I know this, that nobody's telling me, Pastor, I'm completely, fully grown. I'm right there. I finally reached the climax of my Christian life. I finally got to where i met at the, the epitome of. Then there's always an opportunity, a place for us to join together in that commitment of, Lord, please, just bathe us with a love, union to you like we've never known before. Don't go back to what you've had. Go forward to something you never have. See, I'm envisioning for myself I'm looking for a place and a time where its I could spend 24 hours alone with God and feel like it was only just a few minutes. I'm looking for a time where the Spirit of the Lord is so indulging me with the Word of God that I don't want to ever get out of it. See, I, I want to envision for my own life something that I, I don't see in the moment. I don't see a pastor full-hearted, Feel blown like the way that I want to. And that doesn't mean that I want to be doing other things. I want to envision everything that I do to never have this taste or even this feel of legalism over it. As if I'm doing it because I have to or because I need to, but because I love doing everything out of union to Jesus, I never want to feel like I'm out of seek with God. So I'm envisioning a different kind of man. As God's going to grow him up, I begin to want just want to see and think about it. Lord, help me see more of what you want to do in me. And then out of that, I just want to see what God's going to do in you. I want to see what He's going to do in you as you take another step to advance further into the kingdom of God. You know, not let just the painful situations lie waste and, and time be lost because difficulty. But while I'm going through this difficult thing, there isn't anything in my soul that's losing its ambition and love and fervency for God. Amen? Let's pray. I want to invite invite you to come to the altar. I want to invite you to stir up a love for Jesus this morning, a deeper love than what you've already had. I'm not saying that it's not there. I'm just saying let's stir up something deeper. Lord, it's not in us to do it on our own, but it's certainly in you to do it in us. If you're hungry for the Lord to do something special, I want you to come to the altar and let the Lord have his way. We're here together for God to do something together because God God wants to do something amazing right now. God's going to do some miracles in our life because you know there's nothing less for him to do. Father, thank you right now. I want to encourage you to come right now. Father, for what you're doing in our hearts. Jesus, we're ready to yield because this Christmas isn't going to miss us. And Lord, we want everything that you intended in the birth of your son to happen, not just now, but from this day going forward. There's people in our lives that we care so much about, Lord, and we want what you're doing inside of us to be something that reveals you to them. And we're not satisfied with just a a drip or two from the faucet of heaven. But, Lord, we want to get in where your glory is pouring out over our life. Lord, all we have to do is seek. That's all you told us to do. Seek and you shall find. Why would we wait another moment, Lord, when we have this moment where we could? And, God, I need it here just as much as anybody else does. So I'm asking you, Jesus, to draw us in. Lord, whatever may be drawing our minds away, Lord, just draw us in in this moment. And would you just touch the hungry and the thirsty one that says, I want you, Lord. I'm hungry for you to just touch me. Lord, minister to me. And Lord, help me to worship you in fullness of spirit and in truth. Lord, my life in the past has been put away. And I'm looking forward to the future and the hope that you've called me to. And Lord, we're pressing toward the mark of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Oh, Father, thank you right now for those who are willing to just reach out. Let's reach out, folks. Let's just reach out in this moment for the Lord. Reach out with desperation. Reach out with inner longing for the Lord to fulfill you in the deepest way. Do it right now. Begin to call out to Him and ask Him in that area of your life where you want more. If you felt warmth, in your spirit, then just pray for more warmth for God to just turn up the heat inside of you. Father, thank you so much for what you're doing, God. Help us just to be sensitive to you in this moment. In Jesus' name. And as they sing, I just want you to just respond to the Lord as he's leading you, as they sing. Amen.